right. It is good to see you today. And we are excited. We're in week three of the story of reality. And we've begun this series that uh, I'm really excited about. There's going to be a front end series, and then we're going to have series upon series as we build out the story of reality. This first front end, of course, is five weeks long. And let's just begin with a little bit of review. Everybody is looking at the world from the time you began to think to try to figure this world out. You were developing your worldview. And you either have already formed your worldview or you're continuing to shape and form your worldview. We talked about how it's a little bit like looking at all the puzzle pieces to try to figure out how it all fits together. And so we started in week one with the reality is kind of puzzling and you're trying to fit the pieces together. And we asked questions like, is there a God? And how do we know if there is a God? And if there is a God, how do we know things like, if there is a God, why is this place so messed up? This world that he's created. And so we're going to look at that one in particular today um, as we try to figure out how to fit the puzzle pieces together when we're looking at things that don't quite fit. If God is good and he created this world, why is it so messed up? And so I believe we have an advantage in answering those kinds of questions. And the advantage is that we have been given the box cover that gives us the whole picture in the story of reality that's bound between the binders of the Bible, all these documents about the revelations from God that came in history. Some of them even tell us about things that are coming in advance of history, and then as history rolls out, it fits the pieces together according to what was revealed and is being revealed, and so we have a little advantage in answering all of these tough pieces. And so that's what this series has been about. We're still at the beginning of the story, and still by way of review, when we looked at chapter one of the beginning of the story, Genesis one, and we're going to dip briefly into Genesis two, and then go into Genesis three today as we consider. So still by way of review, point number one is this. We discover, even at the outset when we're learning about creation, that God is a personal and relational God. At the beginning of any good story, the key characters are being introduced. We tend to read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 as an explanation of our origin. If that's where you think the primary purpose is of that revelation, you are missing something. It's actually telling us a whole heap about who God is while it's telling us about creation which he has made. And so we find out he's personal. We find out that he is relational. We find out that he is personal and that he speaks the world into existence. We find out that he speaks to his creation and there's a whole heap we find out about ourselves in those chapters. So let me just reiterate, there are other worldviews that do not view God this way. And they do not view our world this way. And let me just say pretty clearly, God is not the force that we need to channel and connect with for our purposes. God is God who created us to be in a relationship with him for his 
purposes. And so that's what we're kind of discovering, even in the beginning of the story of reality. So even in chapter one, here's a quote on the screen. God designed, this is not from chapter one, but my summary of it. God designed human beings for an intimate face-to-face relationship with himself for the purpose of reflecting God's image. Remember that? Genesis 1, 26 and 27. If you didn't remember that, you might want to check it out. And that's reflecting his character and his attributes that he has built into us uniquely, unlike any other creature that he's created. And it's for a purpose of revealing more about God to the rest of creation. So, back to the question. If this was God's design, what happened? Because it doesn't look like we're reflecting that image, the glory and goodness of God and his character all that well as we look around. And so, here's where we are as we review. Week number one, the title was Reality is Puzzling. Week number two, the title was Reality was Very Good, to quote God directly. He looked at reality and it was very good. And then today we're looking at then reality was broken, okay? We live in a broken, fallen world, which really makes sense as we look around. And other worldviews don't look at the world this way, and they have an interesting way of trying to piece what we see together. So, when we look around the world today, we see an odd pile of puzzle pieces that almost look like as they're piled up, they're filled with contradictions. Contradictions like this. People are wonderful. People are broken. People are noble. People are cruel. People have built-in worth. People are evil. All those sounds like a mixture of Confusion, a mixture of contradictions, and yet, once we understand how this story, in reality, took place, and what happened in our world, it really explains reality rather well. And so that's what our story today is all about. Now, before we jump into that, let's just remind ourselves that there are many other worldviews There are many other stories of reality that people have tried to puzzle together to make sense of this world. And a number of them think of us only as a a mass of matter that are doing the best we can to uh, posture ourselves to perpetuate our species. I haven't really been working on that intentionally. And that the only thing that is good choices are the good choices that perpetuate your species that we've evolved to to that point. There's not really a moral agent because there's just matter. And because there's no moral agent, we really can't talk about good and evil. They're just choices that create the perpetuation of the species or not. That's just kind of one of the worldviews out there. There's a number like that that really minimize the idea of we are really an interesting mixture of, well, we don't just look around at the world and say, people are evil. People are good. People are wicked or bad or broken. Oh, people are beautiful. No. 
there's a self-evident truth that all of us kind of know. That good and evil are realities, and people have these choices, and it isn't just them out there making them, we do too. I'm broken. I'm beautiful. I'm messed up. Sometimes I'm asking myself, why is it that I do the very thing that I don't want to do? You ever ask yourself that question? What's my problem? You ever, in a low point, you're really confused. What's my problem? I'm not like this. And then you are like this. And isn't it strange that every culture in our world has this self-evident thing going on to such a degree that there's not a civilization, there's never been a civilization or a culture that doesn't feel a sense of ought to do and ought not to do. Every culture has it. So there's a self-evident piece here that kind of works to our advantage as we literally read a story that explains all of this in our worldview. So we're looking at point number two, what is my problem? And the story of reality actually expresses it rather well. Now, in all good stories, you start out with a beginning, introducing the characters, then you move to the plot thickens. Here we are, already at the beginning of the story, the plot thickens. It's not just good characters, something gets tense, there's a problem, there's a solution, we're going to actually find out after the problem solution is introduced that right away uh, the solution is introduced after the problem is introduced in our story as well, but it takes a while to play out fully. In fact, here we are in our story right now, and it isn't finished yet. That's why we keep talking about we help people take steps from wherever they are to where God wants them to be because we're not finished products yet, even once we have entered into the good news of this story. So this is where we're going Let's see how we got there. Genesis 2, verse 15 and 17 reads, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, just a little bit of summary statements here. None of the other creatures were given what humanity has been given. We've been given a unique relationship with God. Uh, theologians will call this a covenant relationship. And they're not just superimposing from covenant relationships that are very, very clear following a covenant pattern in the culture of Moses' day. But they see it even in the interaction between God and Adam as Moses presents it in the book of Genesis. So God establishes covenant with humanity. He is a relational God with a particular kind of relationship he's looking for. He is now setting up some of the stipulations related to this covenant relationship. You can have any of the trees in the garden. Just one rule. Not that one. Not that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he's setting up something here. It's one boundary. Why is he doing this? We have been given a privileged imprinting of God's image on our souls, a divine purpose, and with it, a freedom of choice. And restrictions within this covenant stipulation will test our freedom. 
And with this freedom and privilege, there's great responsibility. Now, I want to summarize all that with a statement that I think will help us to really go for the gusto on experiencing the best life possible, and that is to experience life the way we've been designed to experience life, the best life possible. Here's the formula. God designed us so that we love life most when we love God to the utmost. You guys don't look very very excited like we knew that already. I'm going to say it again. Just drill that in. God designed us so that we love life most when we love God to the utmost. If you love God more than everything else, you're going to love everything else. If you don't love God more than everything else, there's going to be problems, lots of them, and we're going to discover this in this story. All right, so... Here's another summary statement from chapter one and chapter two as the setup for what we're going to see when everything falls apart and breaks before our eyes in chapter three. God wants it to be our choice to respond with trust and love based on who he is and what he has done. Now, maybe that just sounds really obvious to you, but it's so foundational that if you don't get a hold of this, you're going to miss a whole heap, okay? It's our choice. So let's talk about this. A lot of times people describe God as all-powerful. Let's make sure we understand what that means. God is all-powerful. This is not all-powerful as in he can do anything. We We tend to think that way. Oh, really? The Greek gods can do anything so they can do evil as well as good. They're all powerful. That's their definition of all-powerful. But our story's definition of all-powerful is different than that because God is holy. And so he limits his power, which is all-powerful, more powerful than any being. He limits his power within his character of who he is. He cannot, will not choose against his own nature. That's who he is. He always chooses good. He's the definition of holy. So his holiness has been constraining his power, so to speak, limits his power to only good choices. He doesn't feel limited. That's just who he is. Also, because he's created us to be in covenant relationship with him, that means he has limited his choices the moment he created a free agent that can choose. I'm going to get into some kind of mind philosophies here, and sometimes I lose people, so if if I lose you, I'm sorry, I'm doing the best I know how to do. All right, so if God is all-powerful in the sense that every choice that has been made is made because God chose it, and God powered it, and God is in control of everything, then he's in control of every decision you make. And if he's in control of every decision you make, how can he have a relationship with you? He's actually forcing every choice. That's robotics, not relationship. He didn't create you as a robotic person to respond to him by his determination and choice and power. He actually limited himself like he did by his holiness. He limited himself by his purpose to have a love relationship with you because he, in his holiness, part of his characteristic is he himself is love. And he has created us to love us and teach us to love him and function best in that love relationship. That requires choice. If there's no choice, then it's not love. 
If he chooses all those choices for you, it's not relationship. A reciprocal relationship demands that we have choice. Now, in order to make sure that we have choice, he can't just say every choice you make is good. So he has to set up a scenario where there is a choice that he commands that if we choose it, we fail to obey, which means we failed to trust and we failed to love the God who is good, the God who designed us, the God who created us, the God who loved us, and instead we wanted to do what we wanted to do. And we break covenant with God. That happened at the outset of the story that affects the whole story afterwards. Okay? It's helpful foundation for us to get a hold of. As we set this up, then let me put this in another statement. Freedom means you are response-able. Freedom also means you are responsible and held responsible. Why? Because he made you response-able and he's given you everything you need to have the appropriate response before him. I've lost you already or something. <laughs> or you, you so know this already in a self-evident way that it's like, hoo-hoo, oh well. Uh, I hope that you get excited about this because this foundation is so critical. So when God says you can eat from any tree, we don't go around going, oh, really? So at lunch, Lord, is it okay if I eat from this tree? He says, I said you can eat from any tree. Well, now it's dinner. Can I eat from this other tree and eat this other fruit? I said you can eat from any tree. He's not making all your choices. He sets parameters, and we get to make choices within his good parameters, but he's also setting a parameter where we can't cross the line and choose beyond the parameters what he says is good. There's a difference between this is good and this is bad. I've told it to you. I've given you resources. I've created you to be responsible. You are responsible. I'm not going to make every choice for you. Are you following me? All right. Thank you. I'm feeling better already. Whew. Okay. Let's jump into the story. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, the serpent intentionally misquotes God to make God sound unreasonable here, okay? We're going to have to move through this story rather rapidly. If you're trying to figure out who the serpent is, flip the sheet over, I'll help you on your outline or on your digital outline, go to the bottom, I'll help you. You can look stuff up later. I'm just going to keep referring to the serpent as the serpent for right now, okay? Genesis 3, 2 through 3, the woman then responds, says to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Now, I highlighted the phrase that Eve said, where she's now misquoting God, but I don't think that's what's really happening here, because God never said you may not touch it. He said you may not eat it. Check it out. Chapter 2. Read it again. And there's a reason for this. Check out the sequence in chapter 2, and you recognize Eve didn't hear this from God. Eve wasn't created yet when God made a covenant with Adam. Read it in chapter 2. And so when Eve is quoting, she's quoting Adam. I think Adam paraphrased, don't even touch it. Okay? And so Eve is quoting Adam here, and that's what's taking place. Now, Genesis 3, verse 4. The serpent then responds, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. 
Now, he is directly contradicting what God said now. He's not just throwing these sideways questions. He's directly contradicting God here. And I want you to note something that's very important at this point. Uh, You'll see it in verse 6 explicitly, but you need to understand that Eve is not alone in this conversation with the serpent. In verse 6, we read that Adam was standing there with her, and Adam says nothing. And he heard it directly from God. Okay? So that's an important piece to keep in mind. Now, where do I want to go with this right now? I just want to throw in this question as we think through how we're responsible. I want you to notice this. Why didn't God whisper into Adam's ear at that point? Okay? I've already given you an answer, so to speak. Why didn't he say, watch out, Adam. This one is evil. You are the king, Adam. I told you to take dominion and rule over the whole kingdom. Don't you see what's going on here? Don't you see that this creature is questioning me and contradicting me? I'm waiting. What are you going to do about this? There's no whispers from God. There's silence there. Why? Because God does not need to say again what he's already said. He has given Adam everything he needs to know within the parameters for Adam to, Adam, Adam to be responsible. Adam to be responsible. Okay? Response able. And yet, he passively is silent. Why is this important for me to bring up? Let me read this for you. I wrote it down, and I'm gonna, if I talk too much, I'm going to talk too much. What does this mean for us? Don't passively wait for God to speak again before you do what you already know God wants you to do. We were designed to act as sub-rulers in covenant with God and act as he would act according to his already stated will. Some people pray about everything, but they do nothing. They keep waiting for God to do what God has called them to do and equip them to do, and they just keep praying. This is how not to do it. Faith and faithfulness requires lots and lots of praying. Faithfulness requires acting on what you already know to be true from what God has already told you. Correct? There is covenant there. Faith and trust. Faith downloads the equipment that you need to be faithful. Okay? And so just think of how this works in covenant. Let's now move on in the story to verse 5. The serpent adds to the temptation now. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Whoa. What's weird is God later on in the chapter says, now that they know good and evil and they're like us, Satan is throwing a half-truth out there, but he's lying and deceiving while he's throwing this half-truth out there because he's holding back the information there's a right way and a wrong way to discern the difference between good and evil. And so I just want to spell that out. The right way is to agree with God and trust God's revealed assessment. That's the right way to discern the difference between good and evil. Adam could have discerned the difference based on what God had already said. He failed to do that. We're not given any information about what would have happened had he succeeded, but God put it out there with the possibility of Adam succeeding right there for us. So I can give you all my imagined scenarios, but I'm just going to bypass that. If you want to talk about that later, I'd love that. Okay. Um, The wrong way. The wrong way is to decide for yourself what is good and evil by trusting anything other than God, even your own desires to decide what is good or what is evil. Just because your desires say this is good does not make it good. 
Question, did the fruit taste great when they bit into it? We don't have an answer for that, but I'm betting it did. For a short little bit. Like all of our temptations. Okay? Genesis 3.6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some, some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The dog just standing there to see what would happen to Eve first. Oh, you didn't die. All right. Let me try it too. With only one rule and one conversation, Adam and Eve crossed the line from trust to treason with catastrophic results. Adam and Eve did die that day. They died spiritually. Their human spirit died they were separated from God, Eden, and the tree of life. Their spiritual senses no longer sensed realities in the spiritual dimension which they experienced every day until that day. And from that day forward, all of humanity has been blind to the reality of God. Even now, when the Spirit opens up our senses, I still can't see God face to face like Adam and Eve could. I can't see a reality like an angel unless God opens my senses by his spirit some way. Everything is busted up as a result of this choice. The serpent usurped humanity's rightful place of authority as sub-rulers, and the serpent became ruler, prince of this dark world. Made slaves of us who were designed to be kings and queens, and instead of ruling and reigning in cooperation with God in a beautiful world, the world began to decay and experience death. And in the New Testament, it even says the whole world is groaning for redemption, which God is going to bring about, and restoration, which God is going to bring about, but it isn't here yet, and we all know it. Point number three. If God is good, where did evil come from? The answer, the reality of evil is accounted for by the reality of free agency. Okay? God didn't make evil happen. God created free agents and would not overpower them to make their decisions for them. And out of that free agency, evil entered into the world. But from the foundation of the world, before this took place, God had the story of reality all mapped out. And immediately after this took place, he begins to reveal the rest of the story. Okay? So, although it sounds like this is a horrible story, this is really, really bad news, the story of reality is a good news story, and good news stands for the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclamation of the good news. It's a good news story, and it starts to un be revealed for us as we continue forward. So, uh, next week, by the way, is... His story promises in history where he already is going to reveal the good news. I want to finish this way. Because of Jesus, you also have a choice in the story of reality. Because of Jesus, you can choose God's way with God's blessing 
or you can choose to be without Jesus and stay with the catastrophic results of your own way. If you want Jesus, humble yourself. Agree with God's assessment. Turn to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask for his life, his spirit, and his help. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. (laughs) Would you pray with me? Father God, we ask you to build upon the beginning in our hearts the way you've built upon the beginning in history. We ask you to build your story into our lives, even as you built your story into the history of the world. We thank you for what you've done. We do want to trust what you say, get to know you so well that trust is the vital option we keep choosing because we love you so much and we trust you more. And we love life more because that's what we're designed for. Help us, Lord, to seek you, humble ourselves before you, acknowledge your assessment of our ruined condition, which is self-evident when we're honest with ourselves before you. Help us to be honest. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a prayer team to the left of the stage. They would love to pray for you. Thank you for coming today. Hope to see you for the good news proclaimed next week. God bless you.